You're listening to the On the NBA Beat Podcast, a show packed with nuanced perspectives on the league's most important stories. Portland has three timeouts left. The Lakers have two. Brian, to shot! LeBron James with no regard for human life! Jordan. Oh, a spectacular move by Michael Jordan! And now, your hosts. Lauren Lee Chen, and the twins, Aaron and Joshua Fishman. Hey listeners, welcome back to On the NBA Beat. I'm your host for this episode, Lauren Lee Chen. This week, I'm excited to bring back one of our favorite guests and host of the Light Years podcast, Andy Liu, a man that needs no further introduction. It's a great time to talk about his Golden State Warriors, who are off to a hot start in this young season as one of the best teams in the league. So without further ado, let's just get into it. Andy, it's been a while, man. How's it been? Good. Feeling great. You know, I've been depressed for a few years because the Warriors suck, but we're back. We are back, sort of. I get to talk my stuff again online. It's really what we're here for. One stat before we get started in earnest. For this show's history, there's been 114 unique guests that have made appearances on the show, and... You're the all-time leader. Six guest appearances. How do you feel about that? Oh, man. See, I'd do 16. I'd do 60 more. <laughs> I, come on. I, hey, anytime, anytime for you guys, you need me to come on, I'm here for it, man. I'm happy to chat Warriors, Steph. Literally, you can ask me anything about anything in the world. I'll, I'll give you a take. So I appreciate it, man. You guys are awesome, and, and you're awesome. K-pop, too. Yes, yeah. dude. <laughs> But it, it is a great time to talk about the Warriors. We're a little bit over a week into the season now. They got off to a hot start, started 4-0 before Thursday's game against Memphis, dropped a thrilling one in OT. What were your expectations going into the season and now in a very crowded West? Utah looking to repeat as one seed in the West. Phoenix coming off their trip to the NBA Finals. Lakers and Clippers trying to contend again this year. Denver looking to be improved this year as well. What What are your expectations in terms of best case scenario, maybe a more realistic expectation than worst case scenario for the Warriors? You know, uh, look, I'm a homer through and through. I, last year, I thought the Warriors were going to finish in the, you know, the fourth, fifth seed and they'd have a chance at the Western Conference Finals. I was wrong because Kelly Oubre and Ken Bazemore don't know how to play basketball. <laughs> this season, I had kind of the same expectations. I mean, I had them at about the fourth, fifth seed, but I think their upside is a lot higher. I think they, they could make the Western Conference Finals. I think that's their upside. And you know, when you're in that one series to get into NBA Finals, anything can happen, especially if you have Steph Curry. So I have them upside Western Conference Finals and the NBA Finals tier. Winning it is another different story, right? That just kind of depends on what, what happens all around. But I think they have that upside to get there. I think that in the regular season, they're probably going to be in that fourth seed range, third seed maybe. I mean, you look around the West, the West doesn't look great right now, right? Um, Mm -hmm. They're in that tier where I think the West, everybody's in that tier. I mean, you look around, the Lakers, colossal mess up getting Russell Westbrook and that fit's going to be a problem. The Phoenix Suns, they have that DeAndre Ayton issue. He doesn't look like he even enjoys playing basketball anymore. Uh, Then you look at the Utah Jazz. They're they're probably going to run away with the one seed again, as always, but nobody takes them seriously in the postseason. And then you got the Denver Nuggets who, you know, Jokic banged his knees out the other day and then Jamal Murray tore his ACL, right? So like, we don't know where that team's going to be. You go down the line, Portland's a mess. And then you've got the Clippers with Kawhi out. So the West is kind of a jumble right now. The Warriors are squarely in that jumble. I think the, the worst case scenario is just Steph Curry being hurt. 
and if that happens, I mean, all right, well, here comes another lottery pick, right? But other than that, like I think this team is bare minimum what that team was last season. You know, I mean, they're they're an eight seed, seven seed at, at the very least, and then uh, they have the upside to be a Western Conference Finals team. Speaking of Steph Curry, he's had a hot start to the season as well. Even before the season, he was a top five candidate, according to Vegas odds, to win the MVP this season. That might have even improved by now. I haven't looked recently. But how do you assess his candidacy there so far with his play? You know, Steph, it's an interesting one because I'm very, I'm fascinated by the way people respond to how Steph plays basketball. It feels to me that when people... People feel bad for a player and then they start to hype him up more than they should. That's how I've always felt. People felt bad for LeBron losing when they thought that he should have won. So they they overcompensated and called him all these things like he's the greatest of all time, etc. When it was the Warriors that kept winning. Now you see the Warriors and you're like, oh man, like they can't actually win a championship. Did you see the amount of love that Steph caught last season? Right? Like the amount of love Steph got when he when the Warriors went 15 and 5 at the end of the last season with no chance of actually winning anything was incredible. I mean, ridiculous and incredible. It felt like everybody loved him and he never got that same love when he was winning titles. And part of that is I think people just feel bad. And that's part of where the love comes from. Steph is not a different player than when he was in 2018 mm-hmm. when, when they beat the guy. He's not a different player. I mean, he might be, he's older. He might be a little bit better just because he's smarter. But in terms of shooting, it's not, he's still the greatest of all time. I mean, he's still he's still a great off-ball guy. He's still very good defensively, very smart, even though he's too small, right? Like, he's the same guy. But because the Warriors in the last few seasons, especially the last one, doesn't have a chance to win a championship, I think people are coming out to war work and saying, all right, it's safe now to love Steph, right? It's safe now to love a guy. This is part of why I think like Damian Lillard, guys like that, that, that are never going to win anything and have not won anything, people love them because they don't, they don't threaten anyone. They're just guys that exist. And people love those guys because they're not a threat. Yeah, and random follow-up question on that. Have you noticed any effect of the new foul role on Steph's style of play? I know he's not the same type of foul hunter as some of these other guys like Luka Doncic, James Harden, especially people have been pointing out the decrease in his free throw rate, Trey Young as well. But it doesn't seem to have affected Curry that much. What I always thought of what affected Curry is that whenever he flopped, it actually threw his game off. So I, I was never worried about these rules because that's not how Steph plays basketball. That's how James Harden plays basketball. I was always confused when, when people would say like, oh, is this, they showed clips of Steph foul baiting and like that's going to impact this game. I mean, do you watch Steph? He only foul baited because the coaching staff told him to because it was like, look at the NBA. It's a joke right now. People are getting 10 free throws a game because of BS moves. You might as well try to get six easy ones, right? And of course, Steph did it and he succeeded in doing it. And some of the times he's actually terrible at drawing fouls. It's just not how he plays. He plays a brand of basketball that's more finesse where it's like he's always going to try to make the shot. I mean, you watch him go to the hoop and he's never going in there to draw a foul. He's going in there to finish a layup. It's like Kyrie Irving. God bless Kyrie Irving. But like, he's a guy that drives to the rim. He wants to actually finish the basketball. You watch James Harden drive to the rim. He's not looking to finish. James Harden going to the rim draw fouls. You know what I mean? And that's, how, that's not how Steph ever played. So I wasn't ever worried about that. Um, and I think it's better off. It's better for the NBA. It's better for the NBA. We don't, nobody deserves those calls. Nobody wants to watch those. You know what I mean? There is like maybe 1% of people that wants to watch those type of calls. And, you know, we don't need them as fans anyway. Yeah, I think Coach Kerr echoed those similar types of sentiments earlier this week. And also, I mean, Steph Curry, he's still drawing fouls at about the same rate as he did in previous season. He's actually, as of recording time, I think he was the lead leaguer in free throws made. Another part of that is that I think he's only missed 
one free throw th- so far this season. So that obviously helps among guards. I mean, Embiid and Giannis. Yeah, are- I, I mean, you just you literally just got to watch the game and watch Joel Embiid play. And you're like, dude, like, this is not basketball, right? Like you just constantly you watch some of these guys. They're just constantly foul baiting. And it's just it's ridiculous. And I'm glad that's out of the game. I just I never thought it would affect Steph. I mean, you go down the line at every star though. Trey Young is is egregious. Damian Lillard's like some of the stuff that these guys do is nasty. The worst one is where they come off a screen and they immediately shoot because mm-hmm. they know the guy's coming behind them and then they just draw the foul. Like, what are we doing here? Like, th- like some of this stuff is just gaming the system. If I wanted to see someone gaming the system, I I would just follow the news in real life. <laughs> I would just follow. I would follow <laughs> like financial services or something if I wanted to see that. Like, I don't I don't need to see this in the NBA. So I'm glad they wiped this out at least for now. Yeah, another one of the big impact factors that'll determine how the Warriors shake out this year, I think, are the timing of Clay Thompson's return and what he looks like when he's back on the court. Do you know when we should expect him to be back? I I don't think anybody has any idea. I, if I had to guess, I would say late December. I would say maybe around that Christmas game, maybe a week earlier, maybe a week later. But like I would say that's the, that's the game plan right now. Um, we're certainly going to see James Wiseman earlier for sure. But I think Clay, they're they're not. I think they're just waiting for for the doctors to give him the clear um, to play. I don't think they're waiting for the team to win a certain amount of games. I don't think they're saying uh, the team is good, so we're going to wait and we're not going to bring him back until we need him. Like it's going to be. Hey, look, Clay's healthy. He's clear. He's ready to go. I, the one thing I know is that Clay looked incredible before the Achilles injury, come back from the ACL. Um, so he did a great job rehabbing and then it just, it, he came back too early. So they don't want to do that again with Achilles. Uh, and, and I think he's in high spirits. Like Clay is out here looking happy. He's at the games. I think he knows the light at the end of the tunnel is near. And, uh, if, if that wasn't the case, I, I you would notice, I mean, Clay's, he wears his emotions on his sleeve. He's not going to hide it. If, if he would, if he had a setback, we'd know, we would know. So I think he's on pace and, uh, no, it's exciting. I know it's, uh, everyone's excited. Yeah, as you said, it's better safe than sorry, especially since last time he did return too early. When it does happen, how do you expect that to affect their rotation at the wing, which seems already kind of crowded between um, Jordan Poole and Damian Lee, especially at the two spot? Yeah, I I think Clay's going to enter the final stage of his career as maybe a a big, big guard. Mm -hmm. Like he might be a three. He might even be a four. I mean, he's just going to be slower. He's not going to be as quick as he once was. I would not be surprised if if they played him at the three and had him guard bigger, slower guys. In terms of the rotation, the Warriors right now are pretty matchup-based. Like, there's no set rotation right now. Sometimes they'll play JTA a little bit more, Juan Anderson. Sometimes they'll play Damian Lee a little bit more. Sometimes Otto Porter is going to get in there in closing lineups. Jordan Poole is hit or miss at this point. He's still very young. I think they're going to play matchup base, but none of those guys are good enough to say like, hey, we need to keep those guys on the floor. The Warriors lost to the Grizzlies, and part of it is because their offense wasn't good enough. I mean, they only relied on Steph, and and Andrew Wiggins is Andrew Wiggins. He's mediocre at best, and then Damian Lee makes a couple threes here and there, but everybody else couldn't get a shot off, and uh, they really need Clay to, to come back and do that for them. So, I, you know, I don't think the rotation is going to be a problem. They They need him. As you mentioned, the current starting two guard, Jordan Poole, he's in his third year now. Some consider him the hero of the game in the season opener against the Lakers. He had another good scoring game against the Kings. But as you said, he's been up and down a lot. Other than those two games, he's been he's struggled a lot, especially shooting in the other three games so far. He's shot a combined one for 15 from three. Is that up and down just something that you live with when you're relying on him to be one of your 
primary offensive options and maybe one of the primary creators outside of Steph Curry. Yeah, I, I watched John Morant last night. He's 22 years old, and it looks like he's playing like he's Chris Paul out there. I mean, he understands the game at a level that I don't think I've ever seen from a point guard. A very rare breed of, of basketball player. I mean, he's going to be the best point guard in the league one day. Jordan Poole, not that guy. Jordan Poole has no idea right now what's happening on the basketball court. And that's fine. That's fine because he's young. He's, he's, he's 22 years old. He has never really been an on-the-ball guy. In Michigan, they put him off the ball. Uh, with the Warriors, they've, they've kind of put him back and forth, on the ball, off the ball, on the ball, off the ball, depending on you know how he's doing. And uh, right now, he's kind of figuring it out. And, and the other thing is, he's also never been on another team's scouting report. right? Like Other teams have never said, oh, let's, let's figure out what Jordan Poole is good and not good at. Let's attack that tonight. That's never happened. And because now that's the case, he's going to have to adjust to that. And those are part of the growing pains that you're used to seeing in, in you know, anybody and in, in, in any walk of life. So I think that's, that is normal. I think Jordan Poole has proved that he has a lot of talent, especially you saw it at the, at the end of last season. He has a lot of talent and he's the only guy on this team, even if Clay comes back, he's the only guy on this team that can get to the hole consistently. It's basically Steph, Jordan Poole, and maybe Andrew Wiggins, depending on what he ate for breakfast that day. Like, that's that's really what this team has. And it's a problem, and they're not going to fix that. They're not trading for Giannis at the trade deadline. So part of it is they're going to have to develop Jordan Poole to be that type of player. And the, the point is, if he's bad now, that's okay. You got to let him play through it. It's more about what he looks like in March, at the end of the season, when they're gearing up for a playoff run. Yeah, and the Warriors are in sort of a unique position there where, as you said, if things go well, you know, you might see them making a Western Conference Finals run, maybe an NBA Finals run. But they also have a lot of young players on their team with promise who you might, if they were on a different team, want to consider giving more minutes, more experience to and get getting them more exposure to NBA game speed. How do you feel about those types of decisions? For example, what we just talked about for Jordan Poole, getting him those reps, giving the marginal minutes to Moses Moody versus like guys like Gary Payton too, or, or like when Wiseman comes back, starting him versus Looney and similar types of decisions like that. I think that it, it's a hard line that they have to balance. I think part of it is you're going to have let's let's take James Wiseman for example because I think that that's the best one. They don't want to waste wins and not chase them by by spending a lot of minutes on young players. But in this in the case of James Wiseman, they have to play him because they actually need him. So they both need to develop him and play him at the same time. Right, they, they can't afford to not now. Now, I think Moses Moody is a different story. Moses Moody, they don't need to play him because they have veteran wings that I think are good enough and are going to be better than Moses Moody that can kind of replicate what he does. Right, defensively, they have a JTA type, they have an Andre Godala vet, they have an Auto Porter who can shoot, so they don't really need to play Moody out there. But James Wiseman, they don't have anybody like that, and part of that is is they did that on purpose. They said, hey, we're not going to get a vet center. We're going to wait till Wiseman comes back and he's going to have to play and he's going to have to develop a defensive game that keeps him on the floor and he's going to be that vertical lob threat that we're going to need that nobody can provide. So I think that that's really part of what they're trying to trying to do. And I, that's tough. I, I'm not optimistic that that can happen this season, You know, maybe next season. But again, that that's where they're at. That's their thought process. 
Yeah, and last season, I think like all rookies, he had some bad games. He had some great games too, Wiseman I'm talking about. A lot of people expressed a good deal of consternation in terms of like how he was being utilized in plays, um, the style of play that he was being put into, which he at times did not seem comfortable with. But how did you view his performance in his rookie season? And also, what do you envision an idealized version of Wiseman looking like for this team, either this season or beyond? Uh, he was put in a position to fail last season, just quite honestly. Uh, he was put out, he was thrown into the fire and he wasn't given much to like to actually succeed. I mean, for one thing, he was playing in lineups with Kelly Oubre and Draymond Green. There's no spacing and there's just guys that don't know how to play basketball, especially in Steve Kerr's system. You're not, you're not giving the kid a chance. They also had him posting up. They also had him running Steve Kerr's system where they were doing split cuts and intricate passing designs. When the hell has a 19-year-old ever been able to do that? It made no sense. And so he failed, right? He, he failed in, in those moments, and I don't blame the kid. Now, what I think was successful near the end of the season was they started to put him in pick and roll and have him just run to the rim and dunk the ball. That's it. And he was getting more comfortable, and then he tore his meniscus, right? So on the defensive end, I think, you know, he was lost, but I'm not surprised that he was lost. I mean, no 19-year-old knows how to play defense. Not even LeBron James coming in as great as he was, was, was fantastic on defense coming, coming into the NBA. So I wasn't too worried about that. He has the talent and the athleticism to be great on defense one day. Um, but I think long-term impact, I, I don't see him as a, you know, we watch Evan Mobley and, and just the guy's going to be a defensive player of the year mm-hmm. one day. And he's going to be fantastic on offense. Like Evan Mobley is, is just that AD type of talent. Wiseman's not, right? Wiseman's more on the Rudy Gobert, Clint Capella type, Miles Turner type, where it's like, all right, he's big. He's going to be pretty good on defense, but not, you know, like all-time elite. He's going to be pretty damn good. He's going to average, you know, 15, 16, maybe even 20 points if he gets touches on an offensive side, but he's not going to be special. He doesn't have incredible touch. But I think the X factor is if he can shoot threes at a good clip, then he's going to be a pretty damn good basketball player moving forward. Like, don't think he's ever going to be first team, second team, all NBA. But, you know, he's going to be a very, very, very good basketball player for a long time. I think that's who they got. I, I think that's the type of player he is. And I think, you know, maybe one day, he's like Jaron Jackson, he's going to be a great three-point shooter. Then then he's going to be better than that. But, you know, you can see a difference in, in kind of who he is. And, you know, like someone like Evan Mobley, who's going to be all-time special, I think. Do you expect him when he's healthy to get back into his starting role over Kevon Looney? Yeah. Kevon Looney's been bad to start the season. I, I think by the end of the season, I think James Wiseman's going to be in there. They need him. Yeah. I mean, right now, I guess, as he said, essentially Looney's their only healthy traditional center on the team, which has put the Warriors in the position that they do have to go to a lot of small ball or non-traditional type lineups when Kevon Looney's either on the bench or otherwise playing bad. Um, how do you think that system has worked out for them so far? Oh, I think that's that's what they got to do. I mean, that's just how the NBA is going to go. It's crazy because the NBA was – the Warriors started that movement. I mean, they were the team that won a championship playing small ball. I mean, now, now they were on a different stage of small ball because they were also the best offense and the best defense in the league. So it's a different story, right? People think a small ball is not a good defense. But – their small ball was spectacular and special because of Draymond Green. I mean, it was the guy could play the five and be an anchor on defense. I mean, you have never, ever seen that before, ever in existence. And uh, 
that's the way the NBA is going now. I mean, there's no true center out there that's going to torch you for 30 points. I mean, I mean, Joel Embiid can barely get out of the second round. Uh, and, and he's an unstoppable force at the at that. And now, you know, there are some issues with that team that aren't Embiid specific. But, I mean, that's just not where the league is today. There's nobody like that. I mean, even your your great bigs like AD, Carl Anthony Towns are, are just jump shooters too. Like, that's what makes them great. And so I think this team, there's nothing wrong with that. I think non-traditional, it's probably traditional lineup for them to go small. I, I think Looney probably shouldn't even be starting. If you want to go crazy, I would play Otto Porter at the four. You know what I mean? To start these games or Bielitsa and just chuck up threes and, and, and kind of get away with the, uh, with a mediocre defense because it's the NBA now. Like you don't need a great defense uh, to win regular season games. And and so I think the Warriors, they're in a good place. They're in a good place. They've got the right pieces around them. I think it's a matter of, uh, you know, just, just playing together more. Yeah. I mean, Joel Embiid, as you said, probably the closest we have to a more traditional like defensive center, but you know, Nikola Jokic won the yeah. MVP last year. Of, of course, he's a playmaker. He can he can shoot to some extent. He's one of the greatest passers uh, among big men all time, and a better player than Embiid too. Yeah. Well, yeah, I guess debatable. Stay tuned for more show after these messages. The association's back, and at DraftKings Sportsbook, an authorized sports betting partner of the NBA. The key to victory is a strong starting five. New customers, this message is for you. You can bet just $5 on any NBA team to win its game, and if it does, you'll win $200 in free bets. So why not make your roster Reggie Jackson, Jaron Jackson Jr., P.J. Washington, and the Pistons guards, Frank Jackson and Josh Jackson. For those who missed it, those are all references to money. DraftKings Sportsbook customers can also get skin in the game with new same-game parlays. Combine multiple bets from the same game for a bigger payout. The more legs you add, the more money you can win. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. Best of all, you can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN. Bet just $5 on any NBA team to win its game and win $200 in free bets. If it wins, you win with promo code TBPN this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an authorized sports betting partner of the NBA. Must be 21 or older in New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. This is Andrew Schleck from Down to Dunk and Daily Thunder, and you're listening to On the NBA Beat. In the offseason, as you said, the Warriors did fill out their roster with a lot of veteran depth, um, adding guys like Bielitsa, Otto Porter, who you just mentioned, bringing back Andre Iguodala after two years in Miami. What sort of impact do you think having those guys on the roster has both on the court and off the court? I think a lot of it is is IQ specific. I just think that at the end of the day last season, they just didn't have enough people that knew how to play basketball the way they wanted to play. It's as simple as that. It, Ken Bazemore was effective. Kelly Oubre was sometimes effective. James Wiseman has a lot of talent. Brad Wanamaker's uh, whatever he is. But they just didn't have guys that knew how to play. You watch Otto Porter out there. He knows what he's doing. He doesn't make mistakes. Now, what he struggles at are not mental mistakes. What he struggles at is he can't move laterally anymore because he's he's been too injured. 
Nemanja Bialica. He struggles, but what he struggles at is just his size and he can't move. But there's nothing that he can do about it. Those are going to be issues moving forward for the Warriors anyway. But from the perspective of, of those guys today, Andre Godala, another guy that they brought back, there are things that he can't do, but the things that he can't do has nothing to do with mental and nothing to do with the mental side of basketball. And that's what the Warriors did. They picked up guys that knew their role, knew how to play basketball, and weren't going to make mistakes. And I think that's really what makes life a lot easier and what made basket, what made Warriors basketball so much fun to watch. And uh, they're kind of bringing back, they're, they're bringing that back this season. And so I think that's going to add at least like five wins by itself. And, uh, and, and you're seeing that you're seeing that with the fun that they're having. And uh, Steph and Draymond like to play basketball a certain way. You know, it's, it's like LeBron. He likes to play basketball a certain way. LeBron's not running a motion system, okay? LeBron's running a system where he has the ball in his hands and he gets to decide what to do. Steph Curry wants to run a motion offense. Steph Curry wants to play on ball. Steph Curry wants to play off ball. Steph Curry wants you to know when to cut, when to pass, and when to shoot. LeBron just wants you to figure out when to shoot and just defend, right? And so I think the Warriors figured out who they want to get with the guys that they have on the team. And I think it's proven to be successful so far. How do you think a guy like Andrew Wiggins fits into that paradigm though? Because I think he also seems like at times he looks great. You can see why he was once the number one overall pick, but like at times it he looks like he doesn't know what he's doing out there. Or like you don't know why he is where he is or what he's doing. So what do you think about <sighs> how Wiggins fits into that system? Look, man, I was saying this on the Light Years pod yesterday. If you're expecting Wiggins to be better than what he is or any different than what he's been in his career today, that's your fault. That's your fault. Like, there is nobody to blame for who Andrew Wiggins is. He's fine. He's a decent shooter. He'll give you 14, 15, 16 points a game. If you want him to score 20, just give him eight more shots. He'll just be more inefficient. He's a decent defender. He's not going to get completely torched, but he's also not locking anyone up. And just, he's fine. You know what I mean? Like, I, I think people always say, well, if he was this aggressive, he's going to be this. It's going to unlock this. It's like, no, nothing's getting unlocked. <laughs> Nothing is getting unlocked with Andrew Wiggins. He is who he is, and he's not getting any better. He's not getting any worse, right? And he's a completely fine NBA player. The moment you have to rely on him to be your second best offensive player, and honestly, if you rely on him to be your third best offensive player, you're screwed. And I think he saw, and you see that. And I think that the Warriors know this. Just don't expect the world out of him. And I think the problem with the Warriors is that they've not you they've not spent money as much as they have the last few seasons. Part of it's COVID, but part of it's the luxury tax. And you know why the luxury tax is so high? They're paying Andrew Wiggins 130 million dollars a year. Right. And, and because of that, they're not able to spend on things like the taxpayer mid level. They didn't spend on the disabled player exception last year. That was 9 million bucks, right? They're not really looking at trading young guys for vets because that's going to maybe force them to pay more money in the tax. Like, those are some of the trickle down concerns of Andrew Wiggins' contract, but it is what it is. They want to keep that slot open just in case they just a superstar wants to leave. But you know, that speaks to the issues at the front office. I don't think they also want to trade for a superstar or they don't want to give up young players for a quote-unquote star because they want the young players. So 
you know, it's it's all it, the Warriors are in a very special place. And it's not all because of Wiggins, but you know, as I always say about Andrew Wiggins, and I'll repeat it again: if you expect more out of Andrew Wiggins, that's your fault. <laughs> yeah, I guess some players this far into their careers, I forget exactly how old Andrew Wiggins is. He's not he's not old, but he's not necessarily young anymore. Yeah, I believe he's like twenty eight. Yeah. He's actually 26. <laughs> Crazy. Well, I feel like it might be because we've been hearing his name since he was like a freshman in high school. Right, right. But yeah, sometimes they are who they look like. For the next question, hypothetical situation, the Warriors are on the lower end of what you outlined as their expectations. Maybe didn't make home court in the playoffs or like went into the play-in games. I know a lot of people covering the Warriors or fans have been talking a little bit about being dissatisfied with Kerr's coaching performance these past few years, especially after after 2019. But how secure do you think Steve Kerr's job is in that circumstance? And I guess, how would you personally assess the performance he's had in these last few years? Man, that is a, it's a hard question. I'll start with this. I don't think at any point Steve Kerr should be fired. Mm-hmm. I think Steve Kerr should be the coach of this team as long as he wants to be the coach of this team because he doesn't do anything that that really derails the team. He's not actively making the team worse. But he hasn't also made the team better these last few years, right? What Steve Kerr did when he first got came to the Warriors is he implemented the system that he wanted with veterans that liked the system that he liked and he implemented. And because of that, they won a championship. First championship that they won, as much as, you know, Steph and, and Clay and Andre and, and Draymond and all that, Steve Kerr's offensive system was spectacular. And, and that was really the top three reason why they won a championship. That was 2015. It's 2021. Right? I work in the tech world. What was tech like in 2015? Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, that's kind of how basketball is. It's just completely different. And I think that a lot of the basketball world has passed Steve by. I think that we saw that near the end of the KD run. Didn't matter because you know why? They had KD. They had Steph. They had Clay. They had Draymond. They had Iguodala. Crap, I could have coached that team and they would have won a title. I mean, like, just genuinely, I could have. And it would have been fine because what it's the. He didn't do anything. I mean, he managed egos, did he? Right? But, but that doesn't take away from the fact that he's a very, very good coach and he had a great first season. But what you see in the NBA now in the past few years is that teams are playing a certain way. And teams are shooting more threes. Teams are mostly pick and roll. You spread the floor. Teams are playing very, very matchup based. There's no, no, no such thing as this kind of like set rotation for these teams anymore. And I think Steve kind of thought that he could still do that with new players. Like he, for example, I was talking about earlier, he never put Wiseman in a such situation to succeed. He just thought if I could throw him out there, he'll figure it out. He put Kelly Oubre in a motion system. Kelly Oubre can't comprehend his left hand from his right hand. Like, what are we doing here putting him in a system like that, right? So I think Steve has a lot to learn. And this season, they put a very veteran-laden uh, coaching staff around him. Kenny Atkinson was an incredible coach for the Nets. He's on the staff now. Ron Adams is still there. They brought in a couple of player development coaches and, and Mihailovic and, and another one from Toronto, Jama Malalia. And I think that with those guys, it's made his life a lot easier just in the fact that he's got more talent around him. And keep in mind that Alvin Gentry was on the staff the first year they won a championship, but he was spearheading kind of the offense there. So 
everybody needs help around him. It's not like Greg Popovich did it all himself. Fu Jackson did it all himself. And the same goes for Steve Kerr. So I think he'll be here for a long time to, to answer the question. And just he just needs help around him. He can't be... Last year, he was surrounded by yes men. And you, mm. you know, in, in all walks of life, if you're surrounded by yes men, you're never going to get better. Andy, it's been a real pleasure having you here as always. Just one last question before I let you go. At the beginning of this season, in honor of its 75th anniversary, the NBA named a top 75 team. Seth Curry was selected, as well as former Warrior Kevin Durant. But did you think that Clay and Draymond had a case to make the team as well? I, yes. Yeah. I mean, they were the, they were the third and fourth best players of the, the greatest team of all time. I mean, yes, they have a case. Whether they should be there or not, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I, I couldn't tell. I didn't know. I didn't know 20, 30 of those names. I mean, I didn't watch basketball in the 1980s. I wasn't born. So I couldn't tell you. But like, you talk about how great the Warriors were. I mean, let's look at that team that won the first championship and then won 73 games, the most games in the regular season. Who's best player on that team? Steph Curry. Who's the second best player on that team? Draymond Green. Where's he on the list? Clay Thompson was, he's the second best shooter of all time and he has three championships. Where is he on the list? I mean, was it all just Steph and KD? Right, the arguments always well. Steph's not that good. He didn't win any Finals MVP. If that's the case, then then who the hell was good on that team? <laughs> was it just KD? Right, like is is then then is KD better than LeBron? Like, what are we doing here? Right, like I, I think there there needs to be some sort of consistently, but at the same time, you know, I don't care. The, a lot of it is politics. The, the thing I the thing I think is concerning about that list, I think, is that why is AD on that list? Why is Damian Lillard on that list? Why isn't Dwight Howard? I look at AD and he's the epitome of a second. He's just he's a Robin. He's never done anything by himself. And he and he won the championship in a situation where it's just not normal. Right? Mm-hmm. Like we haven't seen him do anything close to that since. Anything ever in his career. What's he doing on the top 75? Damian Lillard. Never even been in an MVP race. Ever. Ever. The one time that he had a chance to make the NBA Finals got his ass swept by Steph. Clay, Iguodala. Like that was their chance. Key was out and they had, they stood no shot. Top 75. A lot of it's just, you know, it's politics. It's fine. But end of the day, the NBA, it makes sense, right? Like it goes back to this. I, I have, I felt like the past five years, the NBA has not put a premium on winning. The name of the game is winning. And if it's about wins, then the Warriors should have gotten a lot, lot more credit just for winning. And I think it goes back to earlier, just people feel bad for Steph because he's not winning as much, so they love him. It's just, it's, the NBA to me has never, ever put enough premium on winning. I feel like the NFL does it well. The NBA needs to start doing that. And, uh, and I'll get off my soapbox. I'll get off my soapbox. I think Clay should be on there. Draymond should be on there. I don't, I don't care that they're not. As long as Steph is in the top 10 of all time, I'm happy with it. You know, the Warriors, you can never take away those three titles. Well said. Again, it's been a real pleasure having you on the show. It's been too long. Let's not make it four years until your next appearance, Andy. (laughs) I appreciate it, man. Thanks, brother. Thanks for having me on. Thanks again to Andy Liu of the Light Years Podcast. You can follow Andy and find more of his work and hot takes on Twitter at AndyKHLiu. And as always, thank you to all of our loyal listeners for tuning in. This episode was hosted, produced, and edited by me, Lauren Lee Chen. You can follow our show on Twitter at OnTheNBABeat and me personally at Lauren L. Chen. As always, you can listen to more episodes and subscribe to the show by searching On the NBA Beat wherever podcasts are found. 
Ratings and reviews are always appreciated, as they really do help more people discover our show. On the NBA Beat is part of the Basketball Podcast Network.